Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour, bonjour. (laughs) I am so grateful that I get to join with you, transcending time and space here. And we are doing yet another episode on the obstacles to peace. This week, it's the attraction of pain. And interestingly, at least it's interesting to me, (laughs) the last one was about body beliefs and... Oh, a few days later, I had some challenges, which I won't go into all the details, but it was kind of interesting to me, kind of fascinating, actually. About I learned a lot about my adrenals. I was doing a raw cleanse, and I was out in the cold for a number of hours. Neither of those things is new to me. Neither of those things is unusual or particularly taxing to me. But there was a a confluence of things, and it overwhelmed my adrenals. And so then I took a couple days rest, um, and then I, I had been feeling there was some kind of little something I had picked up. I had gone out to a restaurant in, um, for dinner with a friend and, uh, which is not something I do a lot in these COVID days, but I, I think I picked something up, which I was easily, um, keeping at bay. But then when I maxed out my adrenals, I got sick. So it was just interesting that it was right after the part about body beliefs. And I haven't, had a cold. I have a cold. Uh, I'm just getting it over. You can hear it in my voice probably. And um hadn't had a cold or anything like that in five years. Very, very healthy. So no complaints, but just uh, I learned some definite things about my adrenals and I'm very glad for the resiliency of my body. I am not a body, but I have a body and I care for it and take good care of it these days. And so, uh, yeah. So this week we're, we're, uh, as I said, this episode is about the attraction of pain and, uh, something I know all too much about, all too much about. So we're going to get into this and just, uh, Let's begin with a prayer and a blessing as we always do. So I place my hand in my heart and I am grateful. I am thankful that the love of our creator shines in our hearts and our minds in the activities of our life. We are projecting love. We are sharing love. We are extending love. We are grateful and thankful to open ourselves to the unprecedented, unlimited life of pure creativity and wisdom and joy and wholeness and harmony and prosperity that is ours now and forever. We share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we let it be 
And so it is. Amen. 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 Yes, indeed. All right. So just as uh, getting into this, uh, one thing I would like to mention is that this Saturday, February 4th, I am doing a workshop online on the topic of eliminating your resistance and your reluctance. And so if you feel like you're holding yourself back in some way, if you feel like you have a call to take your spiritual practice deeper, but you're resisting it, if you feel like you avoid your spiritual practice, you avoid the very things that you know are highest and best for you, then maybe you've got some resistance and reluctance going on. And maybe this workshop will help you to bust through it. I can honestly say one of the most painful things in my life was feeling caught in the resistance and the reluctance to follow my guidance. I had the guidance, but I was resistant to follow it. I was reluctant And that was very, very painful for me because it went on for a long time. And I knew it was not the highest and best choice. And now that I am not experiencing that like that anymore, I am so grateful to be able to offer and share how I got through that and to the other side and to really feel the sense of um, freedom. Yes, a lot of what I do is about freedom and breaking free of the patterns of pain and suffering. So, let's look at this. It's chapter 19, section 4B, paragraph 9. I, chapter 19, section 4, B, paragraph 9, I, the attraction of pain. And it says here, your little part is but to give the Holy Spirit the whole idea of sacrifice and to accept the peace the Holy Spirit gives instead without the limits that would hold its extension back and so would limit your awareness of it. So give to the Holy Spirit the whole idea of sacrifice and instead accept the peace. So this theme of sacrifice is very common. Remember, it's always about lack and limitation. That's the fundamentally what the ego thought system is about. Because it's about separation, and when we feel cut off from our creator, when we feel cut off from source, then we are going to feel both lack and limitation. Because the unlimited, unprecedented flow of everything good is source. When we're mentally cutting ourselves off from that, of course, all we can experience will be through the lens of lack and limitation. And sacrifice is, of course, limitation. So we're giving the Holy Spirit 
the whole idea of sacrifice. And one of the chapters in the Manual for Teachers is, what is the real meaning of sacrifice? And I I have done uh, episodes on sacrifice and also on crucifixion, crucifixion complex, that kind of thing, because that's really what the sacrifice concept is all about. So in the chapter 13 in the Manual for Teachers, what is the real meaning of sacrifice, Jesus says, although in truth the term sacrifice is altogether meaningless, it does have meaning in the world. Like all things in the world, its meaning is temporary and will ultimately fade into the nothingness from which it came when there is no more use for it. So right now, in our human experience, the concept of sacrifice is something that can be uh, explored. <laughs> Let's call it that. Yeah. We can accept the peace of God, express the peace of God, experience the peace of God, or we can energize this concept of sacrifice. But it's actually meaningless. There is no sacrifice except in our human experience. And sacrifice is a trick of the mind. It's a trick of the ego. There really is no need for sacrifice. It's a false construct, so to speak. So think of a sacrifice as people will say, I sacrificed so that my children could go to college. Well, you could look at it that way, that you could have had vacations and fancy cars or jewelry and stuff, but you decided to put your children through college. But is it a sacrifice if, in truth, what you would like is to be able to give your children a college education Is there actually a sacrifice of any kind? No, this is the decision that has been made. And yes, you could have chosen differently, but you did not wish to choose differently. You chose what you wished. And so we cause ourselves a lot of grief and suffering by believing that we're sacrificing. But in fact, we are choosing what we prefer. Nobody is making us do that. This is what we're choosing. This is what we prefer. So he's talking here about we can, if we give up sacrifice and then we can accept the peace the Holy Spirit gives to us without any limits that would hold its extension back so we can not only experience the peace of God, we can extend it to our brothers and sisters. No limits. Then he says, For what the Holy Spirit gives must be extended if you would have its limitless power and use it for the Son of God's release. So again here echoing to have, give all, to all, that the way that we 
have peace, the way that we have happiness, is to extend it to others, and then we get to have it. He says, if peace is homeless, so are you, and so am I. And he who is our home, the Holy Spirit, who is our home, is homeless with us. Is this your wish? Would you forever be a wanderer in search of peace? Would you invest your hope of peace and happiness in what must fail? Faith in the eternal is always justified, for the eternal is forever kind, infinite in its patience, and wholly loving. The eternal will accept you wholly and give you peace. Yet it can unite only with what is already, with what already is at peace in you, immortal as itself. The body can bring you neither peace nor turmoil, neither joy nor pain. Think about that. The body can bring you neither peace nor turmoil, neither joy nor pain. But we do think it brings us all those things, don't we? Yes. Yes. I remember in when I lived in Los Angeles, I could sometimes hear through my bedroom wall the screaming and shouting of my neighbor in her bedroom, screaming that she was so ugly, that she was hideous, and on and on. Her pain was so intense. She's screaming at herself, maybe looking in the mirror, I don't know. Yeah. And many people feel that way about themselves. And they think that if only their body could look a certain way, then they'd have peace, then they'd have happiness, then they'd have success, then they'd have all kinds of things. It's such an easy trap to fall into because we've been indoctrinated into it every day of our lives, you know, with the toothpaste smiles saying that, oh, we could have love and romance and connection if only we had white teeth, if only we weighed less, if only we had nicer hair or some such attribute, then we would have peace, we would have happiness, we would have joy. The body can bring you neither peace nor turmoil, neither joy nor pain. It is a means, not an end. It is a means, not an end. Interesting that this is not in the body belief section here, but it's following it. The body has no purpose of itself, but only what is given to it. 
So think of it as a canvas that we're projecting onto. The body will seem to be whatever is the means for reaching the goal that you assign to it. Only the mind can set a purpose and only the mind can see the means for its accomplishment and justify its use. Peace and guilt are both conditions of the mind to be attained. And these conditions are the home of the emotion that calls them forth and therefore is compatible with them. So the body has no purpose of itself, but only what is given to it. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's so much like I've given everything all the meaning that it has for me. That lesson just repeats and repeats and repeats. It's so critical that we are willing to recognize that if we're upset, it's because of the meaning that we've attributed to things, not because of the way things are. We're not upset for the reason we think. We're not upset because of the way things are. We are upset for the interpretation that we have of it. The body will seem to be whatever is the means for reaching the goal that you assign to it. So can you see what goals you've assigned to your body temple? It can be very different for different people. Um, so it's a vehicle for us to experience things, to feel or sensation, enjoy pleasure. And for some people, it's a way to manipulate other people with our bodies. Uh, meaning it could be that uh, we use our sexuality to manipulate people. Uh, in obviously a myriad of ways, we could use the body to, uh, through our abuse of the body, to numb ourselves and to disconnect from spirit, to disconnect from our human experience. We could use our body as a means of torturing the mind. And so many options here for us. Only the mind can set a purpose and only the mind can see the means for its accomplishment and justify its use. So we can pursue the exploration of the unconscious guilt or we can pursue the exploration of peace. Peace and guilt are both conditions of the mind to be attained. And these conditions are the home of the emotion that calls them forth and therefore is compatible with them. So emotions call forth the peace or the guilt. There's another clue. So let's keep going. But next paragraph. But think you, oh, here's a little Yoda 
<laughs> but think you which it is that is compatible with you. But think you which it is that is compatible with you. Guilt or peace? Here is your choice, and it is free. Free choice. Free will. But all that lies in it will come with it, and what you think you are can never be apart from it. So whichever thing we choose, the guilt or the peace, each choice is encoded with everything that comes with it. The body is the great seeming betrayer of faith. In it lies disillusionment and the seeds of faithlessness, but only if you ask of it what it cannot give. All right, so the seeds of faithlessness. What what would the seeds of faithlessness grown to um, ripening, flourishing, what would the seeds of faithlessness look like? It might look like someone who's mired in an uh, addiction, someone who we might say has lost their way, who is being greedy or egotistical that the seeds of faithlessness had captured their attention. Can you mistake, can your mistake be reasonable grounds for depression and disillusionment and for retaliative attack on what you think has failed you? Use not your error. Again, we got a little Yoda in there. You, you, you think you not think not that you know. Remember how Yoda talks. Uh, use not your error as the justification for your faithlessness. So, what would the mistake be here? What would the error be that we are choosing instead of? Freedom and peace, we're choosing guilt. That would be the mistake. He's saying, do not use your error as the justification for your faithlessness. You have not sinned, but you have been mistaken in what is faithful. And the correction of your mistake will give you grounds for faith. So the correction of the mistake is to choose peace. We can't choose to invest in thoughts that disturb our peace and choose peace at the same time. So we have to be willing to turn away from the thoughts that disturb our peace and turn towards the Holy Spirit. He says here, it is impossible to seek for pleasure through the body and not find pain. So, who among us does not seek for pleasure through the body and not find pain? Uh, 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 or just who, who among us does not seek for pleasure through the body? The pleasure of eating the ice cream. The pleasure of dancing for hours, ecstatic dance. 
Now, these things aren't sinful, but if we're pursuing these things just to experience the pleasure, then we are identified with the body. We are thinking that the pleasure comes from the body when it really doesn't. It's always going to be coming from the mind because the body is not real and the mind is. So when we're seeking the pleasure of the body, even in healthful ways, because uh, there's certainly a lot of pleasure when you've had a really great workout and you're, you've really used your muscles, even sometimes when there's a little bit of soreness, that can be pleasurable because we have this, we, we've made the meaning of it that I've done a good thing. I'm, I've earned my brownie points, right? All of that is approaching exercise with ego. This is what I was talking about in the body beliefs that when I came back from Europe and I saw that I, I had gained weight, which of course I knew, but I didn't want to use the old approach to relinquish the weight. I didn't want to drive my diet and exercise by ego. I chose to be inspired by spirit instead. Oh my goodness, it's time for me to take a break. Such a rich topic. Yes, I love this. We're getting into it. Thank you for joining with me. Uh, This is Jennifer Hadley. We're talking about A Course in Miracles. And I will be right back after this break. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. And we're back. (laughs) Talking about the attraction of pain. And just a quick reminder here, Saturday, February 4th, my workshop on eliminating your resistance and reluctance. So if you feel like you've been stuck holding yourself back, take a look at the details at jenniferhadley.com. It may be the perfect thing for you at the perfect time. And certainly we'll have a lot of fun and remember to laugh. So... It's impossible to seek for pleasure through the body and not find pain. It is essential that this relationship be understood. For it is one the ego sees as proof of sin. That doesn't mean it is. But you see, when we seek for pleasure through the body, we're going to find pain. The pain is going to come because we believe that the pleasure through the body is a sin. This is um, religious teaching, uh, and people have really glommed onto it over the years, right? So um, this is why poverty, it, people take vows of poverty, chastity, and all of this. And, and if if we think about 
wonderful, wonderful, wonderful spiritual teachers like St. Francis, whom I admire so much. He still, his whole thing was about denial of the body and recognizing that we are eternal, infinite beings. We are not a body. One of the ways he worked with that so assiduously in his life there in Assisi was to endure a lot of discomfort. And if we, if you know anything about uh, St. Francis and Claire, Francis and Claire, um, she became a nun and uh, was following. So he was a Franciscan. He started, obviously, the Franciscan monks, and then she started the nuns, and he was their teacher. And so they followed in his footsteps where they ate very little. They had very little heat. It gets very cold there in the winter. There's snow on the ground. And he was walking barefoot until he got the stigmata. He was walking around town on those cold stone road, cobblestones uh, in the snow in bare feet. T- tremendous amount of deprivation and denial of the body to overcome the uh, attachment to the body and seeing himself as a body. So it's quite a journey, and uh, it does seem on the outside looking in that ego was driving his experience as much as spirit. So these these are intense Things, these identifications with the body and the belief in sin, the belief that we are sinners and that we need to be pu- punished because we're sin, we're sinners. Oh, what's Bodhi doing over here? She's moving all around. She snuggled up to me, but <laughs> she just did like two, three circles around and came back to the same spot. Okay. And by the way, we're chapter 19, section 4B, paragraph 12 now. He says, It is essential that this relationship between pleasure and pain be understood, for it is one the ego sees as proof of sin. It is not really punitive at all. It is but the inevitable result of equating yourself with the body which is the invitation to pain. So that's why I'm doing this program uh, this year. It's going to start in the middle of May, run through October, if all goes as currently planned, uh, called Changing Your Mind About Your Body, Changing Your Mind About the Body. So it it is so important for us to understand we have a body, but we are not our body. So the pain is but the inevitable result of equating yourself with the body, which is the invitation to pain. For it invites fear to enter and become your purpose. Well, we don't want our purpose to be fear. He says the attraction of guilt must enter with it, with the pain. And whatever fear directs the body to do is therefore painful. It will share the pain of all illusions and the illusion of pleasure will be the same as pain.
So the pleasure is an illusion, the pain is an illusion. We pursue illusions. We feel like we're victims of the illusions. And I can feel a bit of which comes first, the chicken or the egg, because people have stuff going on in the body, and then they feel very afraid, totally understandable. But does the fear come after the stuff in the body, or does the fear come first and then the stuff in the body, the illness, etc.? And, you know, I began this episode talking about how I had been feeling uh, a little unwell, and then I strained my adrenals, and I I got sick. And uh, for me, one of the things I've known for a long time in my life is that when I do have a cold or a flu or something like that, it's inevitably because I, I I would like to rest my mind and I am not giving myself the amount of space that I need to do that. So the body gets sick and that gives me the space. I also feel like uh, very often that the the cold, the flu, whatever it is, is a cleansing, a clearing in the chakras, a clearing in the mind that looks like illness, but it's actually clearing out fear and thoughts of fear. In in here, Jesus says that the the guilt enters in with the fear and the pain and whatever fear directs the body to do is therefore painful it will share the pain of all illusions and the illusion of pleasure will be the same as pain now i have known uh in my counseling practice folks who had what they defined as sex addiction, obsessive, compulsive, having, needing to have sex. And it, it really had nothing to do with their sexuality. It was very much a compulsion. It was very much about, um, emotion and uh, misidentification and it's, it's complex. It's complex the way that the mind will bring together pain and pleasure. And it's not something I'm actually interested in exploring for myself personally, but I can understand it. So for people who feel like, I, I don't really know what's going on here, what, what you're talking about, there are times when, let's say, you're exercising and it becomes painful, but there is a certain pleasure in it because mentally you know that you are pushing your boundaries, 
hopefully in a healthy way. Like sometimes, uh, I reach down and grab my toes, put my feet under my hands and really enjoy that stretch along the back and the hamstrings. And it, it can be a little painful, but it's not, but it feels good. It hurts so good, as John Mellencamp would say. And so there are times when people overeat to the point of feeling stuffed. And there's, it starts with the pleasure of eating the food, but then it doesn't become about the pleasure anymore. It actually becomes about the pain. A lot of it, it's, it's really, as I can see it now, it's all about activating that unconscious guilt or as we were talking about in the recent episode about the attraction of guilt so the attraction of guilt the attraction of pain so similar here that we feel we deserve to be punished and so we are going to follow through on bringing that punishment upon ourselves because it satisfies the unconscious guilt temporarily, momentarily because that unconscious guilt can't ever actually be satisfied. It's like the hungry ghost in Buddhism. It's insatiable. And so... It's like a monster that you have to keep feeding. Um, what was that Broadway play? Oh, I can't think of the name of it now. Seymour, the plant that was a carnivorous plant. So the attraction of guilt will share the pain of all illusions, and the illusion of pleasure will be the same as pain. Is not this inevitable? Under fear's orders, the body will pursue guilt, serving its master, whose attraction to guilt maintains the whole illusion of its existence. So the master is the ego. Under fear's orders, the body will pursue guilt, serving its master, whose attraction to guilt maintains the whole illusion of its existence. This, then, is the attraction of pain. Ruled by this perception, the body becomes the servant of pain, seeking it dutifully and obeying the idea that pain is pleasure. Now, for me, it it really boils down to the, the pain is the punishment that the guilt deserves. So when we are identified with the ego, then we are identified as a guilty person, whether we recognize it or not. Because I I would have said for a long time, I don't feel guilty. I don't. In fact, I do mean things, cruel things, and I don't feel guilty. But I was in complete and total denial of that guilt. I did feel guilty. I felt ashamed. I felt guilty. And I felt like I was evil, 
heinous, unlovable, and definitely deserved punishing. But I did not allow myself to marinate in that. I barely allowed myself to even dip into it here and there. I might feel guilty or ashamed for isolated incidents of being cruel to people I really cared about. But to people I didn't care about, I I would not feel guilty. I would not allow myself to feel that guilt. But it it showed up in other ways. So it showed up as my mental and emotional pain. Somebody else it might have sh- it might have showed up as some kind of illness or physical thing or addiction. I certainly have had my share of addictive compulsive tendencies for sure as I've talked about many times with alcohol, with eating, with exercise, with working, and all of that, talking on the phone, um, doing all of those things in compulsive, addictive ways. So even though you might not be able to see it operating in your life, you might be able to see it operating in the life of a TV character or someone you know, someone you work with, someone in your family. If you can see the attraction to pain being the attraction to punishment because of the unconscious guilt. People feel guilty, so they feel they deserve to be punished. You know, one of the things that we see a lot of movie drama, TV drama about is people who have committed crimes against other people to hurt them, uh, murders and rapes and things like that. And so often in those stories, the people, their guilt becomes so intense, even if they are not feeling badly about it, it's still the intensity of the guilt will propel them to want to be caught because they want to be punished. They'd rather experience the punishment than the continuing guilt, even if they think they don't feel guilty. Now, of course, there are many people who are um, murderous criminals who um, they're sociopaths they they don't see other people they they're blind to other people's suffering but if you can see how someone would feel guilty and they would actually invite the pain and the suffering of of whatever kind uh, as penance for their guilt then that's what he's talking about here And the body becomes the servant of the pain. It becomes the vehicle for the punishment. And it seems like the body seeks it out. So when we think we have body cravings and all of that, it seems like the body is seeking the the pain and experiencing it 
in as pleasure, but it's really not actually pleasurable. The the pleasure in overeating is long gone. It's not there anymore. When someone is going through the drive through and getting six hamburgers and eating until they feel just a tremendous self-disgust and loathing, that's the pain. That's the, the guilt showing up right there. Then he says here, why should the body be anything to you? Certainly what it is made of is not precious. And just as certainly it has no feeling. Mm-hmm. It transmits to you the feelings that you want. That's an important thing for us to understand. It transmits to us the feelings that we want. Like any communication medium, the body receives and sends the messages that it is given. How is the body given these messages? Through the mind. It has no feeling for them. It has no feeling for the messages. All of the feeling with which they are invested, the messages, is given by the sender and the receiver. The ego and the Holy Spirit both recognize this and both also recognize that here the sender and the receiver are the same. The Holy Spirit tells you this with joy. The ego hides it, for it would keep you unaware of it. Who would send messages of hatred and attack if he but understood he sends them to himself? Who would send messages of hatred and attack if he but understood he sends them to himself? Who would accuse, make guilty, and condemn himself? Who? Who, who, who let the dogs out? The guilty one. Okay, this next part I find super helpful. The ego's messages are always sent away from you in the belief that for your message of attack and guilt, will someone other than yourself suffer? So send the message of ego's sin and, and, um, sinfulness project it onto others so that you don't suffer and even if you suffer he says even if you suffer yet someone else will suffer more so just think for a moment about the people that you hold in your mind as being sinners in some way shape or form they're they're bad people they're disgusting their politics are abominable that you know their antics are are unconscionable all of that seeing them as being quote unquote sinners so even if you suffer yet someone else will suffer more the great deceiver the ego recognizes that this is not so the the enemy won't suffer more so if you project all the the hatred onto your coworker you're labeling them the enemy they're disgusting they're the sinner they're the one who should be punished even if you project that onto them in your mind it does not actually increase their suffering it does not save you from suffering actually just the opposite so Jesus says the great deceiver the ego recognizes that this is not so but as the enemy of peace the ego urges you to send all your messages of hate and free yourself 
send them out, project them out onto someone else, and that's how you free yourself. Like, I may be bad, but these people are horrible. So he says, and to convince you this is possible, the ego bids the body search for pain in attack upon another, calling it pleasure and offering it to you as freedom from attack. So it's what I used to do when I was a child. My parents would say, did you do this thing, Jennifer? I'd say, well, but what about what my brother did? Let's pay attention to that first. Come on. I mean, that's worse than what I did. It's that deflection. And um, the thing is, is that when we attack people in our mind, even if we don't share those judgments, those attack thoughts, those opinions with other people, it still, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's still something we're holding in our mind. So it's going to disturb our peace. It, these are the thoughts that are the obstacles to peace. So Jesus says, hear not the ego madness and believe not the impossible is true. Forget not that the ego has dedicated the body to the goal of sin and places in it all its faith that this can be accomplished. Its sad disciples chant the body's praise continually in solemn celebration of the ego's rule. Not one but must believe that yielding to the attraction of guilt is the escape from pain. Not one but must regard the body as himself, without which he would die, and yet within which is his death equally inevitable. It is not given to the ego's disciples to realize that they have dedicated themselves to death. Freedom is offered them, but they have not accepted it. And what is offered must also be received to be truly given. For the Holy Spirit, too, is a communication medium receiving from God and offering God's message unto the Son. Like the ego, the Holy Spirit is both the sender and receiver. For what is sent through the Holy Spirit returns to the Holy Spirit, seeking itself along the way and finding what it seeks. So does the ego find the death it seeks returning to you. To have give all to all, do unto others as you would have done to you. These are truly golden rules for us to recognize. And so any time that we find ourselves descending into attack of others for their perceived sins, if we can but recognize, (laughs) as Jesus would say, if we could but recognize that what we're actually doing is attacking ourselves, Oh my goodness, it's time for me to wrap it up with a prayer and a blessing. We are grateful and thankful that our life is the life of God, our mind is the mind of God, our heart is the heart of God, and we're already free. We share the benefits with all, we let it be, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Amen.